Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. Boy, season four sure starts out bad, huh? But then immediately gets good. Oh yeah, no, it is like, it's not like some of the other other seasons where it's like, you know, there's like a ramp up, like, no, 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 it is a, it is a, it's a cliff. It's a sheer cliff. You go from the bottom to the top, and the top, in this instance, happens to include our good friend Huntara. That's right. This is a, uh, another Huntara-centric episode. We're talking, of course, about season four, episode two, The Valley of the Lost. Yes, indeed. Uh, unfortunately, the last Huntara Cedric episode, we get three. Unfortunately, Gina Davis is a little bit expensive. Yeah, it turns out hiring like a really well-known uh, character actor to voice one of your, your characters makes it a little bit difficult to have them on a lot. Yeah, but, you know, I still think pretty good Huntara episode, all things considered. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good denouement to her, uh, to her character here. Denouma means like last. I actually don't know what it means off the top of my head. It's some kind of French thing. It's the French. Nobody knows anything about the French. But yes, we uh, we kind of just. I say we just jump right in here. We start off in the war room. They are planning to recover Mara's ship from the Crimson Wastes. Um, but someone is missing. Queen Glimmer is not in the in the war room here. No, but uh, but that problem solved pretty fast because she teleports in uh, Mermista in tow and uh, she, she kind of, she's like, great, so my first plan as queen in my anti-horde strategy is we're gonna, I'm gonna send you guys out to go get Mara's ship and then we'll have a spaceship and it'll be really cool. That's my plan. And then Adora points out that the Crimson Des- uh, Crimson Waste is a desert, and Mermista's powers uh, include controlling water. In fact, they are entirely controlling water. Yes, which is you know, it's not um, it's not not a not a lot of water out there. Also, it's very funny. Mermista actually like. I don't even think she has a spoken line. She basically just teleported into the room with, like, a soda, and she's just kind of dissociating the whole time. Yeah, she just seems completely nonplussed by everything. She's just slurping in the corner. Um, Glimmer suddenly teleporting people in and away is going to become a running theme because now that she is the Queen of Bright Moon, Glimmer has no limits on her powers anymore. There's no... She doesn't have to share the Moonstone charge. Yeah, no, the limiter has been ripped off. She can teleport as many times as she want. And um, interestingly, though, she still has, like, a range limitation. So whenever she's trying to, like, teleport somewhere across the planet, like, for example, picking up Perfuma, she might get lost and, you know, end up in the snow or the ocean yeah um it's every time she teleports she she seems to have gotten lost somewhere uh but the main thrust of this is that while the rest of the best friend squad is going out on on these cool adventures glimmer now that she is the queen has a lot of responsibilities and is feeling kind of bummed about having to stay back yeah she really wants to be more of a hands-on kind of ruler but unfortunately she does have like you know paperwork and like 
requisitions and troop deployments and all kinds of stuff i mean she did say pretty much immediately after getting coronated that she's going to go to like major full tilt war which i imagine there's a lot of orders involved if you're doing that yeah there's a lot of like you know material requisitions troop movements that sort of thing yeah figuring out how to get all of your people equipped because i imagine bright moon probably doesn't have you know the tightest supply chain it doesn't seem like they've really been trying to go to active war for uh, a hot minute yeah she's kind of got her work cut out for her slightly so not only is this a huntara episode this is also kind of a big perfuma episode both Bo and adora kind of take a back seat here in terms of, of their characters like they're they're there because they are the protagonists but really the characters with the arcs here in this episode are huntara and perfuma yes and they're and they're both really fun arcs frankly like uh so the the thing with huntara is her and adora kind of get like pretty much immediately like super hyper competitive with each other like Adora's trying to be like impressive and whatever, and then Huntara is like, "Hey, you know, I think you're, I think you're getting soft hanging out with all these princesses, you know." And so, of course, that immediately like sets Adora off, and they they start um, competing. Like, like, I'm gonna race you to the ship. I'll, I'll beat you there, and it's 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 very funny. It's it's a very silly set of events to happen, but uh, but with Perfuma, she's she's having a really bad day so we learned something about perfumey here and it's that you know she loves and cherishes all life um except cacti she absolutely despises cacti they're rough and and mean and nasty and then she can't control them yeah it's just like sand you know i mean it's it's coarse it's rough it gets everywhere uh there's it's actually really funny so there's a bit um pretty early on where she starts talking about how she hates cacti so much how they're rough and unfriendly and like don't like her and Bo just sort of assumes that she's doing some kind of metaphor uh no and she's like no no i just really hate cacti everyone says they're so easy to take care of but then you overwater them and you underwater them and it's just a big mess and <laughs> it's because Glimmer grabbed her in the middle of her like morning meditation, uh, she's really high strung throughout this entire episode. That that calm exterior just keeps cracking. She keeps freaking out. She she couldn't finish she couldn't finish her morning tea ceremony. I love the line read on when when Bo's like, oh, we, I, you know, I, mean, I thought this whole cactus thing was like a, a veiled way to talk about Huntara, and she's just like, what? No. She's like, what? No, I'm just having a bad day because of cactuses and not getting to have my morning ritual. I didn't even get to put on my skincare. It's 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 great. It's really good. Also, there's there there is there is a bit that I especially love in this in this part too, where Bo is like, so so she tries to manipulate a cactus and it kind of explodes on her with cactus juice. Uh, by the way, don't drink that. We we know all about that from uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, famously. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't drink that cactus juice. But um, Bo's like, ah, oh, I can I can clean you up easy. And he pulls out an arrow that looks normal, points it directly at her head, and draws it back like he's going to shoot her in the face. But it's like a squirt gun. 
Yeah, so he draws it back, and of course she's like, what are you doing? And then he, like, pushes it forward. He, like, it's like a plunger. He pushes the base of the arrow forward uh, to, like, squirt her with water. And my question is, Bo, why, one, why can you not mark that as a squirt arrow? Two, yeah, why like... do you have to draw it back for that? <laughs> it's so dangerous. And Perfume is just like, she's like, why do you even have this? <laughs> what? Uh, it's, it's really funny. Uh, but the ship is gone, which, you know, that doesn't seem good. No, it's not ideal that the ship is gone. Um, somebody basically just, uh, just dragged it. Just, it seems like it took a lot of effort, frankly, but they, they dragged it off somewhere. Um, Glimmer calls, uh, Bo on his iPad. He has, like, FaceTime now. He installed the FaceTime app, so that's good. Yeah, and, and, you know, she's, she's very enthusiastically asking about the mission. She misses, she wishes she was there. And the entire time Adora is basically in the background is just making the, like, the slit across her throat motion. Like, please do not tell her anything. So they, they just basically lie and say, oh, well, it's all fine. It's all good. We're, we're almost to the ship. You know, we're, uh, everything's fine on, on here, uh, on our end. Uh, how are you? Yeah. It's, I'm sure nothing bad will come of that, but, um, she, uh, it's also really funny because, like, all of the times in this episode in which Glimmer, like, calls on the iPad or whatever, like, specifically, she, um, she says, like, oh, I'm in the middle of some boring meeting, and I'm just imagining her in the middle of the war room, like, while other people are talking, she just pulls out her iPad and starts loudly talking about how much she hates this, and everyone in the room just has to kind of awkwardly wait for her to stop. She's she's not exactly super ready for all this queen stuff. She's still getting used to it. Yeah, I, it's, it's possible. It's possible that maybe she wasn't totally ready for the throne yet i don't know i mean i'm I'm sure um over the course of this season she will grow and mature and and, and exhibit great judgment i am positive positive so they they follow the trail of this like giant trench that the ship has kind of carved out and huntara's like oh i know where we are and everyone's like in the middle of nowhere she's like nah now we're not and she kind of walks up to the edge of a cliff and it's like this is this is my house this is where i live this is my hometown there in the valley of the lost which is kind of like a big crevice city it's got a bunch of like little bridges and like little little huts and like stuff down there it's kind of a cool setting i actually really like the way it looks kind of a wretched hive of scum and villainy situation and we sure do get a, a sort of most likely cantina style Look at all! Look at all these uh, all these folks. So we've got we've got a few really good vignettes as we kind of pan over the Valley of the Lost. Um, we see we see a few familiar faces. Um, a lot a lot of characters like background characters from past episodes. A few of Entrapped as robots. Some of the the past buff bartenders. This show has a lot of really buff bartender ladies. Uh, you know what? I I approve. Respectable. Um. We, we see a few of the, like, people from Tongue Lashor's gang. Uh, we also see a robot buying a, a, a robot missing an arm, buying a spare arm from a frog guy, then pulling out a taser with the new arm, tasing him, taking his money back and running. It's really good. That's, like, it's one of my favorite jokes in this whole episode. It's awesome. And then we also see a, a sort of a strange lizard-like person watching the, the crew from the rafters. 
Yes, as they're walking by, kind of attempting to be discreet. Um, not very good at it, by the way. Um, but as they're attempting to be discreet, they're kind of walking past, and there's this mysterious kind of lizard person. Um, I don't know what I don't know what their deal is. Who's who's to say? Yeah, well, we probably will never learn. So, um, basically, Huntara sees her old goons who are now working for the horde, and. and it's real riled up and wants to go knock their heads together. But Adora's like, listen, this place is crawling with horde soldiers. We can't, like, start a scene or they'll outnumber us. Yeah. She, uh, there's also a thing that Huntara has where anytime Perfuma says something, she kind of gets a little pissy and is like, oh, what do you, you don't want to fight, flower girl? You want to just sit around and drink tea with them? <laughs> yeah, she's, like, constantly picking on Perfuma and Perfuma's just like she's just having a bad day frankly she's just not having fun she really isn't she really isn't but um also like a thing that's a little weird about this episode and I feel like a lot of episodes is there's like there's a little bit of inconsistency I feel in like how dangerous like individual horde soldiers are like considered um by the cast in the show where like sometimes you'll have them going up against like dozens and dozens and dozens of dudes and it's not really construed as a problem because of course they're all like ridiculously overpowered but like sometimes you'll get episodes like this where it's like you know there's a few of them around and it's kind of like oh we can't you know we'll be outnumbered we can't really you know get get caught or whatever and it's like it makes sense and there's i think in this episode there's like an implication that there's like way more soldiers here than like there would typically be someplace i guess because catra's here or whatever but i don't know it's just it comes off a little weird when it's like you have huntara adora bow and perfuma which i mean perfuma is not being very useful right now because of the cacti thing but like still three of the strongest alliance like aligned people here and it's just like uh those are three guys running past us we shouldn't touch them yeah the the sort of oscillating threat level of horde soldiers um you know it's it's a common problem when your your main avenue of of introducing threats is masses of helmeted faceless goons right yeah like it's it's the stormtrooper problem where you have an, a, these these infinite like supposedly highly trained uh, soldiers of empire and yet they can't hit the broadside of a barn and are constantly getting clowned on by like little teddy bears and stuff yeah exactly it's it's really weird right it's it's very strange i feel like it would be i feel like the problem would be solved a little bit more if like more of them were present in some of these shots but like of course the more you put in the shot a the shot composition starts to suffer and b that's more like animator time and it's expensive so like i mean obviously they're not gonna do that so you know it's just it's one of those suspension of disbelief things it's just it's one of those things that i always look at and i'm like hmm. yeah it's just something you can't really avoid on a show like this um so we cut to catra and scorpia who are who are sort of cleaning the ship out of salvage so that hordak can use it to to uh continue weapon production um scorpia just very flustered her her sort of whole dynamic with catra is way out of whack 
She seems very nervous and extremely talkative, more talkative than usual. Yes, no, she's got an enormous amount of anxiety. And frankly, can you blame her? Because like last episode, Castro was more or less threatening to literally have her executed. So like... Yeah, and Katra, for her part, is like, she's facing all of this with a much colder sort of countenance than usual. She is, like, very aloof. Her face is, like, barely moving. Um, she she is in the full, like, imperial officer, complete, like, badass mode, right? Yeah, no, she's, she's extremely, like, cold and calculating. She is... As, as we said before, she is currently trying to inhabit Hordak's role. She is trying to be new Hordak. And, I mean, she's she's doing a, she's doing a much better job, frankly, than, than he was at the whole thing. So, so far she is succeeding in that. It's not a good thing, but... No, it's, it's certainly not a healthy thing. But uh, Scorpia leaves, uh, but then immediately comes back and is acting, like, way smoother and flirtier than she was before. And Catcher is immediately like, okay, hang on, what is happening here? Yeah, and then Scorpia comes back. And then Scorpia walks in. And there's two of them, which Scorpia immediately just starts talking about how she she's like oh do i have a long lost twin i always felt like i had a a nebulous connection to someone and i was you know missing that and and now this makes so much sense and then she's like ah you know what probably hordak just cloned me you know i signed a lot of paperwork (laughs) (laughs) there is and then we we just see catra and fake scorpia glance at each other we get a good close-up on catra's like eye twitching yeah just (laughs) Uh, which, of course, is the cue for Scorpio to stop talking. And that is when this mysterious uh, shapeshifter kind of turns into Catra, which certainly freaks her out, definitely breaks her facade. Yes. No, she's she's getting freaked out a little bit by this. And uh, this mysterious individual is... Uh, you know starting to talk about like oh you know i can i can change into anything and and uh you know katra kind of slaps the handcuffs on him and is like hey we're 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 taking you in functionally yeah but uh which which this this person seems pretty uh angry about um and and so they 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 just say all right well here i'm i'm let me make a pitch to you all right and they kind of drop the the sort of catcher look, and reveal themselves as Double Trouble, the uh, the sort of shape shifting spy for hire. Yes, Double Trouble are good good friends. Uh, the world's the world's most powerful theater kid. They um they're like, hey, listen, here here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want cash, and you want my services because i can change into anybody you want and also not just that i can act and i can make everyone believe that i'm this person and and you know they start talking about how it is it is it's it's an art and it's their it's their passion in life to just to to inhabit the roles of the of the people that they they sort of copy and it's 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 amazing i i love double trouble they're so good yeah i'm a big fan of double trouble i love characters you can throw in uh like a monkey wrench in any situation uh to spice things up and cause tons of drama i love characters who who drive uh conflict oh yes but 
I have a few more complicated feelings about Double Trouble. So, obviously this show is big on diversity, right? And Double Trouble is canonically non-binary, which is pretty cool. This, this character who uses they, them pronouns is just kind of casually dropped into the middle of the show. The, the trouble is, and this is not necessarily a problem endemic to this show and more just in general, is that so very often non-binary characters are either like shapeshifters or robots or aliens. Uh, they're never really just normal humans, right? And it's less a problem in this show because there's all kinds of weirdos running around the, uh, the, the, the sort of principal cast. And obviously, as a non-binary person myself, I, 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 the, the sort of continued uh, representation of that, it gets a little bit annoying at times. But with uh, a few developments this year, um, notably that the creator of the show and presumably the one who put you know a fair amount of work into creating Double Trouble came out as non-binary, it, it adds another dimension to that whole thing, right? Yeah, it, it does. It's like, I don't know, it's, I feel like of all of the characters that kind of fit this very specific and kind of less than ideal niche like double trouble is probably the like least bad example i can think of yeah like a, a sort of untrustworthy amoral shape-shifting rogue not exactly stellar representation but the thing about double trouble is that all of that is softened via the fact that as you said they're a theater kid they love the arts they're in it for the craft more so than just the money yeah or to like hurt people that of course they're gonna do bad stuff as a spy but ultimately what they're in it for is the theatrics yeah like you could very easily see like a situation in which if there was like a broadway enterprise on etheria like that would be what they do yeah they are not they are they are a rogue for hire because that is where their talents are best served out here in the crimson waste but that is not necessarily just what they want to do. Uh, the, you do really do get the sense that they have uh, ambitions of, of a much sort of grander theatrical scale than a lot of other characters. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we, we, we sort of after as in, sort of intercut with with being uh, introduced to Double Trouble, we get uh, Huntara coming back to one of her old contacts here. Uh, Grox and is like, all right, I need, I need some help. I need to find like, uh, she needs to find something. I don't exactly remember what it was. Uh, well, she was. Um, Antara is trying to figure out where the ship is right now. So she's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna find this, gonna find this this contact of mine, and she's gonna point us in the direction where the ship is, and it'll all be great. Clearly, they have some history. I think you get that vibe. Yeah, you get that vibe. Like they have like this this like rapport when they kind of meet up. This like slightly antagonistic, but like you know clearly old buddies situation. Uh, unfortunately, Grox is selling them out to the horde, and she like does this bit where she's like, "Ah, I found the thing that will help you," and she pulls out a horn, and this should immediately be. <laughs> <laughs> everyone in the room should immediately be like hey wait a minute yeah um but they kind of just let her continue talking up until the point where she's like listen you forgot a very important lesson don't trust anyone in the crimson waste and she she blows the horn it's very like 
don't know, that was a little telegraphed, guys. Yeah, it seems that Hantara especially should have picked up on a hang on a minute. How's a horn going to help us find the ship? Yeah. So they, they, they get into a scrap. Uh, they have to, you know, hide from all these horde soldiers. Uh, and that is when Glimmer calls again. She called earlier in the middle of them also trying to hide. It was being very loud. So they had to hang up on her again. Uh, this time when she calls in, they finally tell her, like, okay, we, we got to come clean. Uh, they have the ship. We have no idea how to get it back. Um, and she's like, oh, that's so cool. Like, all the chips are down. All, all the dramatic stuff is going to happen. I'll be right there and teleports away. Yeah, she's uh, she's on her way. But it's going to take a second because the Crimson Waste is pretty far. So Bo uses a, a horde badge they found lying around to kind of connect to the, the network. Uh, and where they find where the ship is. It's in this big hole. It's in this big hole. And actually, <laughs> so one of the things actually is um, in the in the previous scene... Um, where, where Glimmer's like, ah, yes, I'm, I'm coming, wait for me. Everyone's like, well, we better, we better hurry because they could move the ship at any time. And it's like, the ship is in a giant hole in the ground. And it clearly took a lot of very concerted effort to get it all the way there and then down in that hole. I imagine it would take even more effort to get it back out of the hole again. So... They kind of have a minute. I feel like they could have waited for Glimmer. Yeah, it's not like the ship can fly. Um, it's pretty busted up. It's not like we've seen that the Horde has any sort of real airlift capabilities. They don't really have an air force, as, we, as we've mentioned before. So, like, there's no danger of, like, a big carrier coming down to pick the ship up. Yeah, and honestly, it doesn't even seem like the Horde is interested in, like, the ship as a ship. They just are kind of tearing it apart for pieces. Yeah, and obviously you don't want that if you want to use the ship. But still, you have a fair amount of time, I think. Yeah, it's going to take him a grip. And, like, they've already kind of disassembled part of the ship at this point anyway. So, like, I mean, how how much more could they disassemble in, like, an hour? But uh, they, they jump into action after after Perfuma kind of gets a pep talk from Huntara. Because Perfuma really feeling kind of uh, useless here or with all the cacti stuff yeah she's she's not been having a good day as we've established and she's got she's kind of having like a like a self-esteem a lack of self-esteem moment and you know Huntara kind of gives her a pep talk puts her hands out and is like listen we we can't do it without you i've been wrong all day and i bet i'm also wrong about you we need your help and Prufrima's like oh that's so sweet yeah absolutely i will try and help and there's this really funny bit where so they they need to raise the ship out of the crater and perfume is like okay i need to get the cactuses to, to push up and then she kind of has like a like a lack of self-esteem moment again and huntara is just like uh, uh i'm not good at this uh, let's do a meditation and she starts doing the most like i don't know what meditation is meditation yeah she's just doing the hum uh, but but that does cause Perfuma to realize, oh, wait, all of these cacti are interconnected by, like, one root system, and we're underground. And that's when <laughs> she summons gigantic roots from all over the valley to lift this ship. Yeah, so um, here's the thing about Season 4. Season 4 and Season 5, everyone is busted yeah the princesses get i mean they've always been powerful you know as the as the show's titles might suggest but 
They get really powerful in these last two seasons. Glimmer no longer has a limit on teleports. Perfuma can do this. Like, there's a few other examples later on. Like, it is, it is quite something. It is really quite something, especially when, like, so not only are they just busted normally, but then they also have that, like, magical resonance or whatever where they start getting glowy whenever they're kind of, like, around She-Ra or whatever. And, um... Like, that ends up happening at the end of the episode. Like, Perfuba, who's, you know, she's she's still struggling a little bit to get the ship out of the ground, uh, suddenly is just able to, oh, okay. And she starts glowing green and lifts the ship at, like, 80 miles an hour directly upward. And the whole canyon expl- starts exploding. And then Adora just cleaves all of the falling rocks instantly with, like, a big energy blast. Yeah, and we should mention, uh, Catra and Adora have a fight. Catra comes out and, and sort of distracts Adora for a bit. Uh, they have a pretty cool-looking fight, I think. I always like a good Catra and Adora scrap here. It's pretty good. I like, uh, really fighting on the catwalks here. Yeah, Catra does a lot of cool flips, cool stunts, uh, lots of flip kicks. But, uh, eventually she kind of gets caught and <laughs> grabbed by Adora and just kind of put in a, in a big cage in the wall uh it's 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 really 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 good i i i love that bit and there's a really specific frame uh or like couple of frames it's really good um uh, we're gonna we're gonna put it up on the twitter but it's like when <laughs> Catra gets caught by adora she's just like just being held and uh adora's like uh i gotta go i got more important things to do it was fun distracting you though um you know there's like a little wink uh but uh turns out she kind of wasted that really, really good line because that wasn't Catra at all. No, it wasn't. As evidenced by the fact that um, very shortly, like 30 seconds after uh, she gets put in the wall cage, she's just gone. Yeah, because uh, Double Trouble uh, demonstrated their ability to, like, basically, as an escape artist, basically, uh, after Catra put them in the cuffs. They're like, hey, listen, not only am I a good spy, I'm an escape artist. So even if I get caught, it's not like I'm going to be, like, a liability. Yes. So, yeah, no, they, they get out. And uh, after this, you know, the, the all of the Horde soldiers in the valley presumably ran away when the whole valley imploded. And Glimmer shows up at the last second. Uh, and we got a nice cameo of the the armor from the Battle of Bright Moon, which is always fun. I, I I think that that is like the only like armored look in the show that's really good. Yeah, we we talked about it in that episode, but most of the rest of the armor looks really bad. But uh, Glimmer's look really, looks really sleek, and she's really. There's a moment where everyone laughs at like an in joke uh, about the the exploding cactus, and she just looks very lost. I was like, I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, everyone's just kind of like, you had to be there. And she looks kind of sad about it, um, <laughs> which I'm sad. sure, again, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, Perfuma also, like, gives Huntara a flower crown made of cacti. <laughs> which That's Huntara... my favorite bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Huntara she, loves she, it, it, by the way. <laughs> Huntara loves it. And it is, like, d- to be clear, 
to be clear, this is not just like, oh, it's cactus flowers. It is literally little ball cactuses with the flowers on them. But like all of the needles are still on these cactuses (laughs) and they're in a circle. And she just puts this on Huntara's head like a crown of thorns. And it is just fine. She doesn't care at all. Oh, no, she doesn't put it on Huntara's head. Huntara puts it on her own head. She hands it to Huntara and Huntara's like, man, this is sick and puts it on her head. (laughs) Um, and, and this is when Antara basically goes up to Glimmer and says, all right, uh, listen, I I need to be here. Like, I, I've spent too long away. I'm going soft. I want to retake the Crimson Waste for the Rebellion. Yeah. Um, and, the, <laughs> and my favorite bit is when uh, Perfuma comes in from the corner and is like, aw, Glimmer, say no. And she's like, say no. I really, I really like hanging out with her now. <laughs> it's like you can just uh, make an executive order to force her to stay in bright mood. <laughs> God, it's it's it's, uh, it's very funny. But I don't know. The thing the thing is, like, I I really enjoy this episode, but I I I still feel like as kind of the conclusion to like Huntara's like three episode stint in the show, it just it feels a little week right like i think that the conclusion of her deciding to stay in the crimson waste and kind of retake it from the horde i think that makes a lot of sense it just doesn't get that just doesn't have enough time to kind of like like one of the one of the things in this episode that's kind of touched on is the idea that huntara feels like huntara and some of the people in the crimson waste feel as if she abandoned the crimson waste and like left it behind for the horde to come in yeah and she feels like guilt about it i I don't know it just there's just there's not a lot of time to really establish these feelings i feel like yeah it's it's kind of a a a unfortunate crossroads of they can't pay gina davis for more episodes uh huntara hasn't really been in that many this is only one episode. Like maybe if this was like a two, another Crimson Waste two parter, we would have gotten more time to to uh, fill those ideas out. Mm-hmm. But that also reinforces that there's been a, a more significant length of time than just like a couple of days or weeks or whatever. Exactly. Uh, since the season three finale, because if they feel like they've abandoned her, then like obviously her absence has been felt. If she was just gone for like a week, I don't think it would have really been that big of a deal yeah no it's clearly it is taken there has been a very significant like period of time between um between stuff i i still think it's probably in the realm of like six months um where it's like you know because six months feels like reasonable to me for like a people feeling like huntara abandoned them to the horde b for the horde to mobilize big enough that they like occupy this whole area and that it's like completely normalized um see for them to have moved that entire ship down into a canyon you know like all that stuff like i feel like six months is probably like a reasonable period of time for like all of that to kind of go down yeah like there's a lot of repairing and a lot of dealing with stuff um that would have to be done there but uh yeah that pretty much ends our you know crimson waste episode the uh the the this kind of final adventure here with with huntara for a while yes that's that's the conclusion for this and we're we're really we're really setting stuff up for uh for later this is this episode's a lot of setup so uh it's, we'll, we'll be seeing a lot more of the the stuff that's been explored here later but for now 
uh, we do have some curious cat questions. Yeah, so a couple of these might be in the spoiler zone um, for, you know, ease of conversation. But uh, one came in just now, uh, well, between when we started recording and now. Oh, that's exciting. So from an anonymous Curious Cat user nine minutes ago, um, thoughts on the cactus metaphor? Just showing Perfuma's character growth, or is there a deeper moral here? Also, I adore Cranky Perfuma. She should show up more often. I agree on that. Oh, absolutely. Perfuma being, like, broken out of her center is, like, so, so fun. Like, every time it happens, it's just, it's great. It's a, it's a fun time. As far as the metaphor is concerned, though, I feel like part of the bit with the cactus thing is that it is, like, extremely literal, but there, there, there is like obviously like character arcness to it, right? Like she's she is uh, interacting with things that break her out of her center and that make her uncomfortable, and she has to like kind of be a little bit more go with the flow about it. She needs to get a little bit more flexible, which. I think is kind of fun and interesting as like a, a twist or like a like a wrinkle in the kind of character archetype that Perfuma has. Whereas like usually you get kind of this crunchy granola style person and a lot of times they're kind of their major flaw is like, oh, you know, I am like too going with the flow, you know, I'm too carefree, but Perfuma's kind of the opposite. She's like she's crunchy granola and kind of the other extreme where she's like very routine oriented you know she's like she's very like into like mindfulness and like centering and meditation and having like very specific self-care rituals and that kind of stuff and it's it's interesting as like a like a, a a change of pace to that kind of archetype yeah i think you you pretty summed it up pretty well there i also like that it is literally just that she doesn't like cacti she just doesn't like them. It's so good. It's like, listen, I can I can relate. I have tried to do cactuses before too. I've tried to try to take care of them. It's hard. It is really hard. Like you you do under and then overwater them, and like you, it's so hard to tell like how how best to take care of them. Like those arid plants. It turns out uh, a plant adapted to um, operating in like ex- extreme conditions kind of finicky to take care of. Especially when you don't live in those extreme conditions. Yeah, like if you live out in New Mexico or whatever, yeah, you will probably have a cactus or two in your backyard just kind of naturally. Like, it'll just be there. Yeah. But outside of that, it's going to take a lot of work. Um, but with that, I think we will we will be done with our questions, with our non-spoiler questions. We've got a few spoiler questions and some emails. Um, as a reminder... We record the man episodes on Tuesdays. So if you have an email or a curious cat to send in, make sure to get them in uh, before Tuesday. Uh, be on the lookout for the question posts and whatnot. Yeah, we also usually record at a. Like, we start recording usually about like 8 p.m. Central. So, like, if you know, if you're worried about, like, oh, am I going to get my question on time? Like, as long as you get it in, like, roughly before 
like even probably like 8 30 because that's usually when we stop watching the episode like that's that's you know i would say if you get your question in before then you'll probably get on the show and you know be sure to mark your email uh if it's for one of the roundup episodes uh, as such and if you want it read on like a normal episode mark it as such there as well mm-hmm. because if not i usually just save all emails for the end of the season yeah so yeah that'll help organize our folders and and keep the the questions flowing here but uh just wanted to 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 make sure that that uh timetable got all cleared up exactly exactly and as a as a reminder if you want to send us one of those emails it's uh gonna be at potapower at gmail.com yes our twitter of course is at podcast of power you can find a link to our curious cat there we also have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash Power, and we are racking up some content. Yes, we are. So our, our Patreon's got, got two tiers, got the uh, the normal tier at $1, and then at $3 you get the Force Captain level, and once you get there, uh, you get access to a bunch of fun stuff. So we have the uh, the Kipo cast and the Owl cast, where we watch uh, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beast and the Owl House, respectively, both fantastic shows we just did uh, an episode on kipo this uh this past weekend it was amazing i think that you should definitely check that out and also just the show in general frankly yeah kipo has been a, a great surprise i think i i never really checked it out i think the art style made me think it was going to be something different like it was, it was something more along the lines of a like mid 2000s or early 2010s kind of anime-esque series but it's really good yeah it's fantastic love love that show so so we got that lined up we also uh we used to bonus episodes from time to time uh we did one pretty recently on the legend of the flame princess comic that was kind of fun to go through we've got plans to go over that script for season five episode five that was officially released and also just another fun kind of little mini-sode of, of going through the official Spotify playlists that Noel Stevenson has created for all the characters. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, we also, uh, we've got, coming up, we hit the stretch goal for the Riff tracks. That's with a CKS, Do Not Sue, yes. um, which we're going to do probably on the, the He-Man Christmas special. So that'll be fun. By the time this comes out, uh, that should already be up. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're going to plan, we're going to try to release that Christmas Eve, a, a sort of holiday treat for everyone to end out the month. Because we have had a, a bit of a, a, schedule, a few scheduling hiccups on the Patreon. The, the holidays are a hectic time. Yeah, the holidays are a hectic time. I've, like, we, we got the Watchtower up. Watchtower is out right now. That was one of the other uh, stretch goals. Uh, I think it came out pretty nice. Uh, it's 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 pretty good. Sort of a fan content roundup. We did a Scorpia th- or a Scorptra theme for that one. That's right. So, yeah, we, we, we just sort of aggregate a bunch of uh, fan art and AMVs from all over the internet. Links all in the description, of course. And make a video podcast out of them where we just talk about stuff. Uh, each one, I think, is going to be themed around a different ship. So this this month's was, was Scorptra. That was a blast. Next month, uh, I believe we're going to be doing Glimidora. Yes, we are going to be doing Glimidora. So if you have, like, Glimidora content you want to see in there, you know, shoot us an email, shoot us an at, you know, whatever. Uh, send us your 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 fix, your gifts, your your art, you know, what have you. 
all all fun stuff. And if you watch them or listen to any of our stuff, leave a comment, leave a like. I like we love the engagement. Yeah, please. Uh, you know the engagement's great. Uh, we love to hear from people. You know, leave us a rating on iTunes or whatever. Um, maybe you know share share it around. Let other people know that you know that we're here. That we're out here making making stuff. Yeah, I, I don't remember if I ever if I shared our, my favorite iTunes uh, review of ours. We got a we got a five star review here from user uh, this August seventeenth. Uh, and the review says, great, by the honor of Grayskull. Great. <laughs> great. Great. I mean, it's a glowing review. It's perfect. It really is. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we just, uh, if, you, if we're interested in any of that content, just uh, make sure to sign up to our Patreon because there's going to be loads of stuff coming over the next year or so. Yes, yes there is. Um, and... and including, and of course, yeah, how could I almost forget? If you're a $3 patron, you also get your name read in every episode. So, shout outs to our current $3 patrons. Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, Olivia, Andres Lozano, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, Robert Harris, and Danielle DuPont. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much for your continued support. It means the world to us. Um, but with that, we are going to hop over to the spoiler zone. So if uh, you're taking your leave, we'll catch you later. But if you're joining us, we'll see you on the other side. So we got a, uh, a couple of emails that we want to touch on real quick uh, before we move on to the kind of main topic of discussion, which is uh, Glimmer's domino effect that kind of starts in this episode. Yeah, so well, we also have a, a couple of curious cats we should uh, knock out of the park real quick here. Oh, yes. So, right. yeah, first, these are just curious cats. Uh, first one. What is the significance of Adora and Catra only interacting once this season? We already kind of talked about this in the portal, but it is an important thing about this season. Yes. So one of the things about Adora and Catra only interacting once is, is for a couple of reasons. Like, A, season four is largely about the conflict and interpersonal relationship between the two queens of the world functionally you have queen glimmer and you have katra who is functionally new hordak and the conflict between the two of them adora kind of takes a back seat and also in in the same way like katra dora also extremely takes a back seat like they basically don't interact like that entire relationship between the two of them romantic and otherwise has been completely severed just just chopped off right at the right at the the elbow yeah the 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 portal episode was a pretty definitive like we can't keep doing this this way 
and that the the one interaction they have later on in the season definitely underscores that where it's just Ghidorah completely shutting Catra's attempts to like you know build a rival rapport down it's like I'm not here to play games Catra like let's just get get to it um not only is it a more centering uh catcher and glimmer's conflict go it is also centering catcher and glimmer's conflict with their own sides because this opens up catcher to have way more foils than just adora like so catcher like, is pit against glimmer double trouble hordak scorpia lonnie and the cadets like her narrative really the the mirrors that get held up to her are very interesting yes and by the same coin glimmer also gets a ton of foils too because it's not just catra she's fighting against it ends up being adora and Bo and the rest of the princesses um the war room people like everybody on on the alliance side as well starts to get some real friction with queen queen glimmer even shadowy later on they have quite a lot of friction because you know glimmer is not dumb and she can tell when she's being manipulated and she does not want to take that yeah so isolating these two into their own character arcs and kind of putting them against each other means that their worst like habits are enhanced while at the same time they are kind of dragging each other towards the end point of their arcs um and me and adora is on her own downward spiral don't you worry she's she's going through it as well but it is a it is a completely separate one um heavily involving mara Yes, we, we touched on that last time. We talked about it a little bit, but yeah, no, as, as we move forward, there is going to be just an, just an ocean more uh, of, of that falling on a door, but we really don't get into that so much until we hit, like, season five. Yeah, these are, this is the dominoes setting up for the, the back half of season five. Um, yeah. Our second anonymous curious cat. When Double Trouble pretends to be Catra, do they figure out that there are feelings between Catra and Adora? Uh, of course they do. What kind of actor do you take them Oh, from? yeah, no, like, I, I was saying uh because I was like, do you mean, like, in this episode specifically? Because that doesn't really come up i feel that much but like in ge- like generally speaking oh yeah like big time like that even like i i there's there is a scene where <laughs> this is still one of the funniest scenes actually um during the um more mysteries episode where actually is it during more mysteries there's one of them where double trouble is talking to katra over the ipad yeah, I don't think it was in Mer Mysteries because they couldn't really get back to her during that. I think it was during one of the previous ones. Maybe it's during uh, Boys Night. Oh, it could be doing it during Boys Night because it was it was during an episode in which um, they were in Bright Moon, I believe. Yes. So yeah, yeah, I think it might have been Boys Night. So yeah, they're like pretending to be a bunch of like various um like best friend squad people and then they put on like the adora look and starts like making fun of adora and catra's like really genuinely like really tickled by this and is like laughing and is and is having you know them keeps like repeating and like making the same jokes uh again and you can you can if I was Double Trouble, I would be like, ah, I see. 
I mean, even more, even in just, you say there's nothing to indicate that in this episode, but remember what Adora's one-liner was after they, after she captured Double Trouble? Okay, that's true, With yeah. the wink? If I was Double Trouble in that cage and that just happened, I'd be like, what is going on between these two? Hang on a minute. Uh, yeah, okay, that's, that's a good point. That is a good what point. What was that? <laughs> so, that'll, uh, thank you, Anonymous Curious Cat user. We've got a couple of emails. Um, yes one of these is from matt this is kind of the big meaty one that we can we can dig into a bit here so why don't don't you take this away right so uh matt has a couple of thoughts um first in reunion hordax something along the along the lines of i see all i know all which seems to be him trying to be as similar to horde prime as possible hordax tries to become the one thing he knows in life and the one thing he looks up to in life because he doesn't know anything else and i think that really hits the nail on the head i think that's definitely true yeah like obviously with this imp uh hordak is trying to emulate the the kind of hive mind that horde prime uses right problem is the imp is its own being and is more really like a pet or like a little bratty child that hordak can send around than it is like an actual spy so like even that, even his um, his his attempt to emulate omniscience is just like a it's like a cardboard cutout, like he, a, a pale breeze would knock it over. Exactly, exactly. Because he clearly, clearly doesn't see all and know all, right? Like no, yeah. The stuff that Shadow Weaver was doing throughout all of the first half of season one, like there's so many gaps in his knowledge. Horde Prime actually does have a huge intelligence network where that functionally allows him to see all and know all hordak has nothing of the sort no hordak has i mean he has the imps right he has the imps and he has the intelligence that the that the horde like now, acquires you say imp imps it's an imp singular there's only one of them well okay that's right it's it's the one imp he he has like the tubes with a bunch of other imps in there but like presumably they're either still growing or they failed I think they fail. I think he mentioned that they were failures. Right. I presume that the imp was an attempt to grow himself a new body, and it just kind of stopped at the 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 baby stage. And so he's like, all right, well, I guess I'll just do this. Yeah, that was kind of the best he could do, which is kind of sad, frankly. I mean, hey, cloning doesn't seem like it would be that easy, so. It's not. But uh, this, the second part of this question is, uh, in Price of Power, Shadow Weaver says she wants revenge on Hordak. I'm kind of skeptical. Uh, revenge doesn't seem to be a Shadow Weaver emotion. Uh, I think she simply went to the one place she could and used that as a line so they would trust her. I don't think she has any motive besides power, especially because her literally wanting revenge like does not come up again. Um... Now, I'm of, two, I'm of two minds here. One, I do think that that was probably a, a play-up to get them to trust her because she she isn't like a, a blood and vengeance type of lady here's the other half of that though she is incredibly petty yeah like maybe the pettiest person alive yeah no like getting getting cast out like that the way that she did she has some emotions about it and while i don't think that she's necessarily going to be revenge driven um, I definitely think there was some truth to that. It's like a it's like a fun little bonus, right? Sure, she gets she gets her her new position and she gets, you know, the power that she wants, but also she gets to to pull one over on Hordak. 
yeah, she kind of gets to clown on the on the dude who kind of fired her from her last job. So, yeah, I think that while it's like Shadow Weaver isn't like, oh, I'm going to get revenge on Hordak because that's all I care about. She she definitely cares like she she is going to be very happy if she has the opportunity to get revenge on him while also getting power. Um third bit is going to be in once upon a time in the waste it seems like huntara could have just grabbed adora and the sword and run off which seems way smarter yeah but then we wouldn't have an episode yeah essentially right like i mean that's 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 always how that tends to go it's uh i mean you know you can make up any kind of character thing for you on like huntara's reluctance to just kind of be this thing to be this bandit and, and her want to keep the crimson waste safe from the war's influence and all that stuff but ultimately we just needed a fun episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, next bit is in Moment of Truth. The conversation that Adora and Entrapta have is so well done and so important. I wonder if that conversation changed Entrapta's mind at all, and if it had any impact on her saving them on Beast Island. And God, the way Shadow Weaver manipulates Glimmer. Yeah. So we ne- we kind of missed... Uh, we didn't really focus on the conversation that uh, Entrapta and Adora have in, in Moment of Truth, because th- that was a jam-packed episode. Yes, but it, it was. Is, I do like that conversation. Like, it is it is Entrapta kind of the, the start of, her, of the backswing of her character arc a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is, again, one of those situations where Entrapta is just entirely focused on like the science of the situation and she's just not considering any of the like human cost associated with what she's doing and i think this conversation where adora really tries to impress upon her like what that human cost is like i think that does get to her a bit like she does get a moment of pause and it makes her like run the numbers again and make sure that like is what we're doing going to be ultimately horrible? And she comes to the conclusion, yes. Yes, it is. So I think that definitely is, like, a turning point for her. And I think probably it does have some impact on, like, how she saves the gang on on Beast Island later. I think that, like, were Entrapta still, like, basically entirely, like, science-focused without really considering the cost of, of like, people that it involves, I think it's possible that she would have put off saving them. Not that, I don't think she would have completely avoided saving them, but I think if there was, like, a distraction of any kind, she probably wouldn't have leapt to their defense quite as quickly. Yeah, yeah, that seems about right. Uh, and then in the two portal episodes, uh, the first part here, as we see later, the cadet squad remembers the portal dimension. Kyle says he made a cake for Adora. So I assume other people remember it too. I wonder what Glimmer thinks of legitimately meeting her dad, and if Micah thinks at all about seeing his daughter and wife for the first time in many years. Maybe Micah thought it was a dream or something. Uh, yeah. The the portal memory stuff has always been a weird one. Because, yeah... So, here. So what I assume, yeah, I, I I also assume that Micah thought it was a dream, because he's I'm sure his his sleeping habits over on Beast Island aren't exactly ordered. Yeah, yeah. And for Glimmer's part, she probably thought it was just fake. Yeah, no, she she 
probably thought that like all of like her dad appearing was entirely fabricated and then later of course when she finds out that he is alive and they meet and everything she doesn't really have any opportunities to like talk with him like they don't actually have a real conversation one-on-one until i think at the the very end of the show because like they keep getting interrupted and then of course he gets like taken over like mind mind controlled by being chipped and like turned into a dark wizard and stuff when i first watched season five and they kept like just tearing that father-daughter reunion away repeatedly i was like oh man they're not gonna kill mike are they oh Oh. man that would have that would have been so like uh brutal uh but i'm I'm glad they didn't i i would not have been a fan of that frankly no that wouldn't have been good I, i i like the direction it went yeah um then okay first how was raz just chilling in the fright zone and i wonder if raz has lived that exact moment before and knew it was happening um magic magic and also i don't know that raz's unstuckness in time is really nebulous it feels like she has much more like connection to the past than she does the future yeah she's never really having any future visions she's really mostly just traveling to the past or whatever yeah the only one i can think of that's significant is when she's telling mara to leave a recording yeah like uh like on the ship like that's the only like significant like future like looking forward that i feel like she does but like even then i think that she was like kind of vague and like not totally like heavy on the details on it so who Who's to say? Who's to say? Presumably she got there because the portal was just making shredded beef out of reality. So she just kind of ended up there. Yeah, exactly. Right. She likes recognized a bunch of first ones stuff happening. I was like, oh, that's probably important. Uh, probably. Um, then it's uh, what what the hell is it like being stuck in a shadow dimension forever? And what does uh, Angela being an angelic being allow her to do? Like, what does that mean? Um, Don't think too hard about it. I wouldn't think too hard about it. I imagine being stuck in a shadow dimension is bad. Uh, but her being an angelic being, I feel like manifests more or less just in two ways. Like, a she has wings and can fly, and then b she's like immortal like i think the implication is that she's immortal i don't think she's or at the very least that she lives in an egregiously long period of time yeah we never really get any lore on what angelic means in this universe other than you're a magical person with wings who lives a really long time yeah kind of kind of a winged elf situation a little bit um then the the they uh they they have some other thoughts um three worst moments of timing in the show uh apparently so so number one is um in season three episode four when glimmer teleports away right before angela is going to talk to her for the last time yep. uh season three episode six so mike is about to tell angela he's not dead but flies away and uh season four episode 11 when mike had torumbo uh, arrive back just as Glimmer's about to go activate the Heart of Ethereum. Yeah, those are some bad timings. Glimmer's family cannot line the time up. Bad at scheduling. They really need to get like, a calendar. They, these dramatic missteps. I did. They, it's it's genetic. I swear. They gotta get one of those like little pocket like agendas or something. Yeah it's it is very funny that that's used like three times though i i do kind of like that it's it's kind of funny 
yeah, it's really good. Um, and then the last bit here is uh, on Adora's arc. Um, so Adora has some extreme Atlas complex, like self-sacrifice psychology going going on throughout the show. Uh, throughout the finales of the show, her Atlas complex is like super prevalent, and there is usually a message from other characters against that. Uh, in season one, there's you're not alone. In two and three, it's what will happen to you. Uh, in four, it's control your own destiny. And in five, it's uh, what do you want? Uh, yet she never seems to take these messages to heart and always self-sacrifices again. Even after Mara and Katra both go, you know, what do you want? It doesn't have to be you, etc. You know, she is fully prepared to bring the fail-safe to the heart with, uh, without Shira and just die. If there's no growth, is it an arc or just part of her psychology and a theme of the show? Do you think she has any growth? I really, really think that she does have quite a lot of growth in this regard. It's very slow. Like, the thing to understand with kind of her psychology here is that it's being taken apart in very small pieces. You know, you look at um, a lot of Katra's self-destructive, like, internal ideology, and that kind of stays kind of put together up until the point that it just completely shatters into a million pieces and she has to kind of rebuild it from there. Adora, on the other hand, it kind of peels apart in layers. Like, you, you take the first layer off in season one and then the second layer comes off and the third and the fourth and etc. And it, it takes a long time to get to the core of what she's actually feeling here it takes a long time to get there and she doesn't actually reach that catharsis where she has that realization um literally until the the scene which we're not going to talk about but the my hand is on the the tumbler to the vault yeah i we can't talk about it because can't. we'll talk about it for 10 years but you know what scene we're talking about that, that very critical scene in the heart part two, like that is the moment where the last bit of this, of this sort of mental onion gets kind of peeled away. And yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll just, I'll, I'll just tease it out a little bit. Well, I'm going to crack it open just a bit and slam it shut. The end to her arc, the, the thing that re makes her realize, the thing that my finally makes her listen is the, the realization that she doesn't just want to save the world, she wants to have a future in it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It is, uh, it's... I I really, really think that Adora's arc here, like, the, her psychology is maybe the most interesting to me in the whole show, just because it's, like, it's it, it feels very... It's really well thought out. It is a very, like... It's long. It takes a long time to actually get through all of these layers of defenses and like justifications that she has inside of her to continuously sacrifice her own well-being and she always has a new justification for it the deeper you go until you finally get to the actual core of the matter and i just really like that because that's like you know it's it feels very real like it feels like I, I, I like, I love Katra's arc as well and the way that that happens, but 
I feel like the the whole the sense of self kind of being really 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 strong and then that facade in just shattering into a million pieces and then having to pick them back up it's good but it's done so much the the alternative of that being a really hard lesson to learn where it takes a really long time and massive effort and then peeling apart all of these different mental blocks that's not explored as often and i think that that's like a really really big strength of the show but we can't go there but we can't go there we can't talk about it cannot talk about it but we i promise you we are going to when we when we get to the the back half of season five oh i i promise you i'm going to be talking about adora's psychology and the entirety of her arc for probably two hours straight i might as well make that its own friggin episode the 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 hard episodes they're gonna be legendary we're saving all of our best material for those episodes Yes, I am so excited. We're really not even that far away, which is oh, great. We, 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 and we've got some great episodes along the way, too. We really do. So so thank you for the email. You know, I'm, we're, we're glad you love the show. We're glad that, you know, we're helping you kind of relive She-Ra. You know, th- thank you. Thank you for, for sending in. Um, and we got a second email as well. This one is from, uh, they wanted to be credited as, you know, Twitter user at Octopus in the Neighborhood. They sent in a few questions in the past. This was an email that kind of slid in, like, right under the wire. Once again, remember, Tuesdays. Yes, Tuesdays. So, uh, so they say uh, they saw this list on uh, at S uh, Neurotypicals' Twitter um, called Saying I Love You in Neurodivergent. And I think that these, are, these three ways from it apply to Entrapta's love for Hordak, whatever type of love you view it as. Uh, way one, I research your problem. Here are your options. Uh, two, I love your project so much, I thought of some ways to make it even better. Uh, and three, you screwed up something people don't usually screw up, and you're probably embarrassed, so here's a story of my best screw-up. If you ever get a chance to look at the whole thing, maybe you'll find more. I think that does kind of reflect Entrapta's sort of uh, kind of way she exhibits that, yes. there's She, she is very data-minded, I think it's fair to say she is she is uh, someone who kind of struggles to make emotional connections beyond the the sort of context of scientific endeavors and work endeavors. Um, even her like friendship with Hordak started with a lab partner sort of, you know, lens, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, I think I think that's that's definitely true. Like I I, I like I like the ways in which um, their sort of friendship and is is kind of expressed to each other. And I think that these these three ways are like definitely like very core to kind of how they interact and how Entrapta just why she connected, I think, so much with Hordak. Like why I think that like that really worked for her because you know, Entrapta has a lot of problems interacting with people uh, socially, um, but particularly, like, socially in any way that doesn't directly involve, like, kind of her, her hyperfixations, right? Like, she is very tunnel-visioned on uh, science and engineering, and that's, and that's and that's great, but it makes it very difficult for her to kind of make lasting relationships with people because she doesn't have a lot of ways to kind of interact with them um, on the level that they're at. So, you know, you have Hordak, who basically all the man does in his, in his time is brood and 
do science and engineering. So, you know, for her, she's like, she's found somebody who's kind of a kindred spirit a little bit. So they, they do hit it off pretty well in, in that regard. Yeah, and obviously that, that plays out um, through the, the kind of Beast Island episodes where in early season five where she kind of grapples with more complex relationship with that and, and viewing relationships like that through a different light you know wanting to rescue glimmer not just because she wants to go to space and collect data you know and but all, but but that is the main goal of going to space is actually to rescue glimmer right 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 and she's she's like yeah over the course of season four like the back half of season four and season five she is like really learning to interact with people more and one of the interesting ways in which she is kind of doing this is she meets wrong hordak who also has very similar issues integrating into this group of people because of course wrong hordak is basically a fresh clone who a doesn't know anything about interpersonal relationships or the world um but b honestly doesn't even know that much about the inner workings of the horde itself like isn't even like that integrated with other clones because of course they're so new so you know you end up in this position where entrapta is is kind of trying to help wrong hordak integrate um, with the friend group just as much as she is also trying to do that and i feel like that kind of it, it pushes her into a position where she's starting to really like get a little bit more capable of like doing these these more more like general social interactions it's kind of interesting and i'm really i'm really excited to actually get to that once we get to those episodes where he shows up i do love wrong hordak what a good boy he's such a good boy so that ends our emails for the night, but there's one more thing we got to talk about. Yes. So we mentioned the the whole domino effect situation earlier. Um, this episode really starts pointing us in a in a trajectory, and that's with uh, Glimmer versus the rest of the best friend squad. You know, we we basically the seeds of that conflict are sown in which Glimmer is attempting to communicate and continue to be an active member of the group. But Adora and Bo, and honestly primarily Adora, um, they're trying to kind of they they're trying to keep her a little bit in the dark about how some of the stuff is going because they don't want to worry her they feel like she's under a lot of pressure she's probably not having a great time being thrust into the seat of the queen and they don't want to make her anxious or make her feel like she has to throw herself into battle at the expense of the running of the operation um so you know they're 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 telling little white lies they're like oh you know the mission's going great it's all fine and it's not and they keep you know they have they hang up on her a lot you know they're they're not being very communicative and then at the very end of the episode glimmer shows up and she's late nobody saved any fighting for her and 
they, you know, they start joking around and having friend moments, but Glimmer feels left out. She's not really getting the joke. And everyone's just like, oh, you had to be there. And she just kind of looks a little bit sad and wistful. And this is really the, the starting point where she starts to feel like she's being pushed out. Yeah, I'm sure you've you folks out there in, in the audio sphere have seen that meme around Twitter where it's the person, you know, with the really small domino going up to the really big domino. Well, in this situation, uh, the small domino is feeling left out of inside jokes, uh, and the big domino is almost setting off a planet nuke and getting kidnapped by a galactic warlord. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've all been there. It's always been there. The the sort of arc Glimmer takes, it's not just that they're they're sort of obfuscating details from her. As she kind of keeps forcing herself into the field, because she is feeling left out, and she is feeling like they're, they're, they're not giving her enough information. And, of course, she is also still eager to, to fight. She loves to fight. This has been a, a, an aspect of her character for the whole show. She's real rough and tumble. Um, and as she continues to do that, Adora is the one who is like, you can't be out here. You're the queen. You're like super important. Leave it all to me. All right. I've got this. I can handle all of this. This is my responsibility. And ultimately that is where the, the main friction between those two, uh, really begins and keeps going. And it gets really ugly at a certain point in the, uh, in the season. Yes, it really does. Like you, you have this situation where these two characters are just on two completely different wavelengths, right? Like, Adora is in this position where she has it in her head that she has to protect Glimmer. She has to protect her from herself, from the world, from everything. She needs to take all of the responsibility on her shoulders and make sure the operations are going smoothly, and she wants Glimmer to stay behind and do the job that she is supposed to be doing. Um, Glimmer feels like she's being pushed out of her friend group and she's being treated like a child, like she's being given orders, and she does not like that. She didn't like it when her mom was doing it, but now that her mom is dead, the idea that anyone else is going to be doing that to her is really something she is not prepared to deal with. Like, she does not want to deal with it from anybody, certainly not her best friend. And of course, this is all exacerbated by the fact that Shadow Weaver is whispering in Glimmer's ear and telling, you know, giving her advice on how to be a better queen, quote unquote. Um, this, all of this kind of snowballs into this, this, you know, momentum where Glimmer is just stubborn and just has it her in her head that she needs to activate the heart of Etheria, and that is what gets her captured. It is. It is exactly what gets her captured, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a long process by which you basically just have this interpersonal friction that just grows and grows and becomes this massive monstrosity, and really the singular voice of reason, the person who is trying desperately to put the brakes on is Bo, but Bo keeps getting foiled at every opportunity, either by Double Trouble or by Shadow Weaver, where they are just... Bo is trying his absolute best to try and get these two to talk to each other like friends and, and work out these problems like, like adults. 
and you know you have these two influences who are doing everything in their power to make sure that can't happen and unfortunately for basically everybody involved Bo isn't successful. Bo is not capable of overcoming this friction, especially with all of these sort of wrenches being thrown constantly. Yeah, and it is a fact that kind of carries on through season five, where he's so focused on repairing these these rifts that he doesn't deal with his own emotions and problems with Glimmer, and, and that kind of boils over in the first half it does it really does and it's like it's it's and it's 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 really good i think that Bo gets a lot more space um to develop once we get into like the middle and back half of season four and like the 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 start of season five i think Bo actually gets a lot more room to kind of be more of a presence in the show uh, which is nice because I because personally I really like Bo and I think that he's not given as much space in the show as I think he really deserves. Yeah, in in the back half of season four and the early parts of season five, he gets a lot of space and his friendship with Adora gets a lot of development. I, it's one of my favorite bits, uh, one of my favorite stretches of the show. It, yeah, mine too, mine too. It's 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 a really fun portion of it, but we will be getting into that. I think maybe even in the next episode. I, I th- uh, think either the next one or the one after that. Well, next week is uh, season four, episode three, Flutterina. Yes, that's right, right, right. So we're gonna we're gonna introduce to Flutterina the fun, the fun, funny pixie girl, um, uh-huh. who's definitely not double trouble. And uh, then after that, I think it's like two or three episodes after that, we st- we start getting into the uh, into the stuff with with Bo and everybody, but. Uh, that will that will come another time. For now, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.